0: Welcome to The Resilience Files, a podcast investigating human stories of struggle and triumph in the quest to explore the true nature of well-being and resilience and discover the secret to a resilience that lasts. Our guest today, Linda Bloom, is a formidable woman with an inspiring story that speaks to the human capacity to intuitively fight for our right to have a better life than the one we are often told we will have. Linda imbues an inner wisdom and is a role model of how to be a student of life, especially as it throws some harsh curveballs at you. Linda also happens to be the wife of Tony Bloom, owner of Brighton FC, the premier football club, who are doing pretty well in the league at the moment. Sorry, but I do have a house full of boys. However, in 2002, Linda's life changed dramatically when she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis following debilitating symptoms. Finding herself increasingly disabled and unable to move independently, she was told to take medication and accept her illness. However, Linda sought a different path to the conventional one. And after attending a retreat by Professor Jelenic in Melbourne, Australia, she followed the OMS program and within a year was healed from all symptoms. Linda attributes her healing to this evidence-based approach based primarily on lifestyle changes and we'll be exploring how that works in this episode. Linda subsequently moved to the UK and established the OMS charity, which is a resource for thousands of MS sufferers. Linda's also a trustee of the Bloom Foundation, which looks for effective ways to address social issues and help people help themselves. For me personally, Linda's voice is such an important one, and I resonate deeply with her message. Through my own challenges with my physical health over the last two years, which I'll definitely do a podcast on in the near future, I've come to appreciate more and more that part of being a psychologically resilient human is understanding firstly that there's a mind-body connection and secondly, how that works. This is something that a lot of people, including myself, um, struggle with. Linda is someone who's super clear about this and as a result has made sound and brave decisions about her health. So without further ado, brace yourself for a deep conversation that covers the psychological impact of an incurable diagnosis to making a full recovery, touches on what it means to be spiritual, surviving lockdown in Australia, and being the child of Holocaust survivors. So Linda, welcome to the Resilience Files. Really great to have you. So Linda, our paths crossed quite a few years ago. And you made a big impression on me at the time. And the reason is, is that what you'd been through really resonated for me. And I think it will resonate with a lot of people out there because for many reasons, one of the reasons is that you came across mainstream experts who gave you quite a bleak outlook on your diagnosis at the time and the treatments that were available for you. And you seemed to say there must be another way. And that is not um, the norm because most people feel like the experts are the experts. And, um, and this is especially I've seen it with regards to our physical and mental health to a degree. And that's something I really want to explore with you on the podcast today and on this episode. But before we get to that, I want to go back to 2002 and ask you if you could just describe what happened that year that essentially changed your life sure and uh thank you
1: so much for having me but also just to say that that initial conversation that we had all of those years ago really resonated with me as well hearing your story and oh, how wow. much you had overcome and uh so i felt very honored actually that you invited me to uh participate today oh, thank um but to go back in time uh 20 20- years and about two weeks ago actually um I was I was at work one day and um I started getting numbness and tingling sensations kind of coming up my legs and it was a familiar feeling because a year before that I'd had something similar numbness and tingles almost exactly a year before came up my legs So felt it was really weird, went to see a, a doctor and I sent to a neurologist who said, don't worry about it, come back if it happens again. Uh-huh. And a year later, uh, it was happening again, but it was uh, much more dramatic and um, it was happening much quicker. Um, so the numbness and tingling that I had started spreading through my body through my hands and up my arms. I had this uh, tightness in my chest. It was like painful with every breath. And um, I knew something wasn't right and so I went to see a neurologist and after having some tests done, I was told that I had multiple sclerosis. And, yeah, the news was... um, quite devastating, to uh-huh. say the least. Um, I was 28 at the time. I was kind of in the prime of my life. I was, you know, uh, living on my own. I'd actually just broken up from a seven-year relationship. Um, wow. And, uh, um, yeah, here I was living living the life. Um, wow. And then to be told literally from one minute to another that, You know, I've got this chronic condition. There's really not much you can do about it.
0: It was uh, shattering, to say the least. How do you emotionally and psychologically take that in? I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if I'm sure, but I would assume there's shock at first. Because, you know, and especially when you go all the way back 20 years ago, you know, getting a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis probably very different to what it is now, I'm assuming. Maybe you can tell me. And and also um, just the fact that it's not something that's curable. You know, it's yeah. not like, oh, we can do something and make it go away. Nope. How do you psychologically and emotionally, how did you process that?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I think... She- you know there have been many stages and iterations of that but over mm-hmm. the last twenty. Well, not so much lately, but over those initial years. Um, and yes, you're right. There's no. You know, there still is no cure. Right. Uh, cure in inverted that's commas. Um, and that's what I was told. There's nothing you can do. Come back when you're in a wheelchair. That's the kind of message that I was given. Um, and really shockingly still people are given that type of message now. Um, there was at the time three medications available. Um, now there's a huge raft of, of um, medications available. Oh, and there's been a lot of research in that area so it's moved a little along a lot in the last 20 years. but uh, So when I was diagnosed, I was told, here are three brochures, go away and tell me, you know, which medication you want to take. And at that time, it, it was all injectable and you could inject every day or every other day. Uh, the side effects of the medications were, from what I read, um, pretty horrendous. And... Um, it was a strange thing actually for me personally and you've this before but um, I had this sense which I really still can't even explain logically. Um, I, I, I had always had a difficulty in medication myself. that I didn't react very well to, uh-huh. um, to pharmaceutical medication and so when I was given this choice I was like but, I, you know, it just didn't sit well with me, and yeah. so I made the decision not to take any medication. And that was yeah. a very personal decision. Whether I'd make the same decision now, twenty years later, I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Um, and certainly, in terms of what we adv- advocate, um, you know, medication is very much part of the program for people who choose to take it. So I'm not saying don't take medication uh-huh. at all, You're right. but. That was very much my personal decision and experience. And there was a sense that I was going to be okay, mm-hmm. which seemed really weird because mm-hmm. I was bedridden and I couldn't okay. move off the couch no. for wow. three months and I needed 24-7 care and I moved in with my sister who's, you know, a, a medical doctor and she had two young kids and... Uh, me Under a wing, and you know, took me to the toilet when I needed and helped me eat. And, um, wow, yeah, it was pretty pretty scary stuff. So, and within all of that, I still had this sense that I was going to be okay and that there had to be something out there that I could do for myself. But I, I didn't buy into that message that there's nothing you can do yep. and it's a downhill spiral, yes.
0: You know, I actually get cold shivers when you said those words, like, I knew that I'd be okay. And you said it wasn't a logical thing, but it was just like almost a deep knowing. And I relate to that so much because eight years ago, I got all these neurological symptoms and the doctors were doing lots of tests They were looking for MS and a whole bunch of things, thinking something was attacking, you know, the my neurological system. And I just got sicker and sicker. I had migraines and facial palsy and double vision and having seizures. And I was in bed. Um, I couldn't see or read or do anything. I couldn't have any outside stimulation. And my mind got so quiet and I felt so deeply okay in those four months. I remember going for test results and my husband bursting out crying like at times when the neurologist was saying the MRI is clear or something. And I had, I, I, he was living with an anxiety that I just didn't have. And I also had this deep sense I would be okay. And it was almost um, independent of outcome, you know, like what would happen. I just felt so deeply okay, which is, and I, you know, later, you know, I'd already been doing the work I do, which teaches us that you can connect with a part of us where we know that we are okay inside, independent of even physical health. And I mean, that's come to serve me now, which I don't want to get into in this podcast, but just struggling the last two years of chronic fatigue and chronic pain, which is difficult when it's chronic because that was more an acute period. But knowing that my mind independently can feel free and even when you have health issues is an incredible thing for humans to know. And if you don't know that, it can be, it can just crush you, you know, if you think the one is dependent on the other, so... It's so interesting that you had that come up for you. It's it's a real gift. Yeah. Um I agree, it is a gift. Uh, and
1: it was a period of time where I because like like what you were describing, I couldn't you yeah. I couldn't read a book, I couldn't see, I couldn't watch T V. So it was a lot of time of inner contemplation or mm. just sitting, mm-hmm. meditating, being,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, because that's all I could do, but do uh-huh. not do. <laughs> or, 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 or. Um, and especially after, you know, living a busy friends doing, life. doing, doing life, uh-huh. uh, to have that time of quiet it. Um, and uh, it was a time also that I really started to connect with my spirituality. Uh-huh. And actually, to be honest, I'd say reconnect with my spirituality because it was something that I'd dabbled in, explored in my early 20s when I'd spent some time traveling and um, met some extraordinary people and you know, someone who introduced me to meditation and oh. uh, had some profound experiences then. And I'd kind of lost my way. From that perspective, spiritually, and in some ways, the diagnosis of MS felt like a, a wake-up call to uh-huh. reconnect with whatever that is—something um, yeah. well. bigger than us. Um, so, and then a lot of profound things started to started to happen.
0: So. And I want to talk about all the kind of lifestyle and changes Mm -hmm. and what you learned when you didn't go with the conventional route. But now that you've kind of brought it up, I want to just ask you about the spirituality piece because the thing for me is that you know I'm I'm a spirituality fan. (laughs) Um, um, But spirituality to me is very practical in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, most people, when you say spirituality or spiritual, and I know that you've said, I've heard you saying that, the spiritual element has been a big part of the healing. And and I believe it is a big part of any kind of healing we do. But a lot of people find it very intangible or nefarious. Like they don't know what it means or how to grasp it or see the link between that and physical or even psychological healing. Um, Could you tell us from your perspective, like just a little bit more about that? Like what was it about the spiritual you connected to? How? What do you learn? How did it help you? I know it's probably not such an easy question. No, it's not actually, and
1: I'm not sure I've ever uh, verbalized my (laughs) thoughts about it. So uh, let's see, (laughs) let's see what comes out. (laughs) Um, I think for me it was through sitting with stillness i started to hear and see more clearly yeah yeah and or and and it felt like what i was hearing and feeling was within me and beyond with you be, beyond without yeah. me Perhaps. And that whatever's the bigger picture, whatever yeah. you call it, and uh uh it's ki it was kind of like it was it, it's it's everywhere and it's here, and it's part of me and but it but I, but I needed to be in stillness to hear and to feel that rawr, rawr. um. Not sure that's, I don't know. <laughs> that's no, no. not a it, practical kind of answer. But I think it, it, I
0: think it is practical. I'll uh, tell you yeah. why from my experience is that when the mind quietens down, we have a wisdom, yeah. which to me, you know, and, and I always say on this podcast, I use the word, the God word. Some people aren't comfortable with that, but um, since I am, I'll use it for me. But uh, that wisdom, almost a God wisdom or a higher wisdom, of which we are a part of that, as you say. It's almost bigger than us, but we're a part of it. We hear it and it gives us information. And that information is not just our best guess because when this kind of part of us is covered by our own kind of insecure thinking, we just try to make our best guess at what to do to help ourselves. But when it's uncovered and we have access to it, the information is exactly the information needed. It's responsive to life. It's an intelligence that's responsive to laugh, and 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 it's beautiful because when you connect into it, not only is it practically giving you this information, this kind of clarity and what the next step is and what you need to know, but it also at a deep level, it's it's it feels healing. It feels healing. So, yeah, I love that. I love that description, and
1: what? it just reminds me actually of um, in the very early days after my diagnosis and. Went on a retreat um, that this professor of medicine, we'll get to shortly, I'm sure, but yes. uh, he was running in the countryside in um, Victoria, in Melbourne, just outside of Melbourne, in Australia, and um, I was really poorly and I could barely even sit up through through this five day course. So I was sitting on a beanbag in the middle of the room and. Uh, struggling to kind of uh-huh. be present. But I just remember this one day um, getting enough strength to walk up this hill, So, it's, you know, the Aussie outback and uh-huh. walking up this hill and I get to the top of it and I'm so proud of myself because I got to the top of it. Uh-huh. And I sat down in the grass and there are kangaroos, literally kangaroos kind of bounding. this kind of surreal thing and I was sitting there and um, I just had this image that came to me and it was it was the weirdest thing at that point in my life but it was an image of me standing on a stage in a stadium talking to people like lots of people, thousands of people. And um, I feel quite emotional thinking about that. But um, it was this, it was like, you know, a message or something um, that I couldn't understand at all. But it was another sort of thing that gave me that feeling of confidence that I was going to be all right and that, this had happened for a reason. Yes.
0: And um, I just had to find out what that was. Beautiful. I've literally got cold shivers. <laughs> I'm just like tingling on the okay. gosh. Um, very powerful. So, so, and I want to come to yeah, the professor perfect. because <clears throat> and what he taught you, but just before that, I was thinking this capacity to be able to independently think for ourselves and to see the way forward, um, in spite of some of the noise coming from the outside is something that I've seen a lot of people struggle with. And, um, and it is one of the qualities, you know, we share with young people and adults, but young people, particularly that is innate or built into our psyche is that we have the capacity for this wisdom. You were talking about this way to think and to, you know, and to respond to life and know what the way forward is for ourselves. and taking in all the information around us, it doesn't mean that we disregard. we take that into account, but then we think for ourselves. But for a lot of people, we lo- you know we kind of humans live in a world where we need validation in order to feel secure. We think we need people to validate us and appreciate us, and so we get so confused by all the opinions and voices. Was there something was it just that this was such a big moment and- in your life? and you kind of got quiet and saw another way forward or was there anything in your background or upbringing your parents the way they parenting you parented you that kind of almost cultivated this ability to think independently um, and unconventionally to a degree (laughs) (laughs)
1: wow um So um I mean my background my upbringing was um my family my dad was a holocaust survivor is Oh wow a holocaust survivor wow um and my grandma uh oh. and most of the family were oh. killed in the holocaust and they uh, from Hungary and um, they survived the Holocaust. That's a whole other story. Uh, and then the Hungarian Revolution happened in 1956 and um, the Russians came in a bit like what's happening in Ukraine now and uh, that's when they escaped and they escaped. Um, so my father and my mother um, in their snow boots, so the story goes, <laughs> went into a registry office uh, and what? got married. And the next day, escaped, uh, and and then following that, my my grandma and my dad's sister, who was eight at the time, sixteen years younger than her brother, stayed behind. And um, my aunt was crying every day and. You know, was so upset that he'd left, so they followed and happened to meet up in Austria and uh, came together to, went to Australia because oh. they wanted to get as far away as possible. So when you ask the question, my thinking is how much consciously, unconsciously oh. of past familial trauma impacts us and our generation, so that's kind of the historical piece well. and then, when I was six years old, um, my mother died of cancer, she had breast cancer and she why she died um, and then my dad remarried, and um, my stepmom uh, suffered from mental illness. she had schizophrenia. Sure. And uh so that was very challenging. Um growing <laughs> up she was in and out of hospital and mental hospital so And then um she actually suicided like easy, though. So <laughs> um so when you ask the question, sort of wow, all that comes to mind and You know, I I can't put my finger on which part of that story had an impact, but I think having gone through, you know, quite a bit of adversity, um, I think that built a lot of strength. Yeah. Wow. Not that I was conscious of that at the time, but in retrospect, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. in retrospect, actually, all of that was a blessing because it led me to you know where I am today
0: 100% you know so we talk a lot about this the hero's journey and that part of the hero's journey is when we encounter adversity it's the grappling and struggling with that that makes us yeah. have to dig deep and, and 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 find these inner resources and you know and as you say you're almost you know when you're younger you don't realize that consciously but that's happening because you have to find a way to make sense and navigate and Go to school when this has just happened, you know, the incidences at home and, <clears throat> you know, and and and, and be in a classroom with kids who are, you know, having a normal life, so to yeah. speak. And that builds us, you know, there's a beautiful quote I actually have here um, by someone called Peter Krohn. And the quote is, life will present you with people and circumstances to show you where you are not free. I'll say it again. Life will present you with people and circumstances to show you where you are not free. And it's all these parts of us that are not quite developed. It's almost like we come up against them. We don't realize they're not developed. And in order to find more inner freedom, you know, we, we, we need to move through them and learn something. I mean, we can put our heads in the sand and not learn anything. And and that's also a human response. But if we don't do that, you know, it builds us, it it, um, develops us. We, and it's, it sounds like, you know, you had a lot of adversity. Um, There there was no kind of pampered, you know, protected childhood, you know, in the Uh, usual uh, sense that many, you know, I think my children, you know, a lot of kids have where you had to deal with a lot.
1: Yeah, and you say that, but also something that I had that I'm so grateful for that I know that a lot of people don't have is love. Uh, And and I have always known that I've been loved, um, you know, by my mother. I don't remember much about her, but I know that she did love me, um, by my dad, who's now ninety and amazing and doing push ups every day and just learnt play the Are violin. you serious?
0: <laughs> yeah. That's
1: incredible.
0: That's the two It's amazing. Um
1: and you know, by my my broader family, and I think, yes, in a way, that has been the buffer
0: uh, um,
1: right. to the trauma, and that has helped in in yeah. building that resilience. Yeah. yeah, very much. And and when you
0: have that as a child, that just gives you that foundation, that kind of to be able to then go forward and do your thing with what's coming at you. So 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 tell me just going a bit back to MS, because some of our listeners might not be so familiar with what MS is and you know, what does it mean? How do you get it? Um is it something genetic or is it just something that you, you're you know? So maybe yeah. you could just give us a little bit of information about it. Sure. So um MS is a condition that um, affects
1: the body's central nervous system. So it's the brain and the sp- spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And it's when the body's immune system attacks the myelin coating. So the brain and the spinal cord have a coating, like almost like an electric wire, and um, the body attacks itself and it starts you know, where that wire. And depending on um, where that happens it's in the brain or whereabouts on the spinal cord can have various effects on us physiologically. Um, So it's an illness of um, inflammation Uh and of demyelination, so that's how it's characterised. And um, there's still a lot that we don't know about it and there's increasing knowledge into it into what causes it. Um, so we know that um, you have to have a predisposition, a, a genetic predisposition to MS. I don't know if anyone in my family who had it, but a lot of my family you know, were killed. So I don't know um, right, yeah, if there yeah. was anyone who had it, but um, you have to have a genetic predisposition. But we also know that um, there are a lot of environmental risk factors and about 75% is uh, environmental. So that's something that gives me and lots of other people of hope that there are things that we can do to potentially change the trajectory. Um, But in terms of how it affects people, it's so varying because it depends on where where it impacts the brain and the spinal cord. But the most common symptom is fatigue. Wow. Um, and for what you said before, you probably relate to that. Um, wow. But when you say fatigue to a lot of people, they just think, oh, well, you know, you're tired. Yes. No, it's yeah. just not that kind it's of thing. It's a fat- whole
0: different ballgame.
1: Yeah. Completeness is like cannot move. Oof. A muscle cannot, cannot move yeah. fatigue. Um, it can affect people's vision. So, an, a common uh, early symptom is it's blurry vision. And, um, and it's, so, there's optic neuritis, which can present um, early on where there's you know, damage to the nerves. Uh-huh. Uh, for some people, there's pain. Quite um, a common experience is pins and needles feelings. Uh-huh. but through different parts of your body and constantly, not like it comes and it goes. Or it could be numbness, so you actually just don't feel parts of the body. Uh, for some people, it, it causes weakness in their um, limbs, so they can't, like I know that I couldn't, like I literally couldn't move my arm, I couldn't feed myself, I couldn't pick up a pen, I couldn't, I couldn't do that in in the early days. Uh, it can cause like tremors for some people, um, foot drops, so you're kind of dragging your foot along. Uh it can also cause like um speech speech disturbances, um, it can be a loss of balance, you know, people falling over the place. So there's lots of
0: different ways uh that it can present And so um what can you now Kind of take us to that year when you were diagnosed and you say mm. you came across the professor, I think it was prof- Professor, do you pronounce it Jelenic? George Jelenik. George yep. Jelenik. You came across him and he almost, and he changed, really changed the project, the trajectory of you and this, you know, this illness. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so in those days,
1: if we go back to when, not what I was describing before when I, had a sense that there had to be something else. Um, okay. Somehow, <laughs> and they do mm-hmm. that somehow, yes. uh, my sister came across an article or someone she spoke to uh, found this book that Professor George Shelinek had written, I think only about a year earlier. Oh. So he's a professor of medicine um, in yes. Australia, okay. he's... Uh, a researcher he is one of the most extraordinary people I know He his mother had MS and um, she died as, as a result and um, and then he was diagnosed with MS as well and he'd huh. seen what his mother had gone through and how debilitated that she had become the <laughs> real help hair for her and brushing hair and um, she ended up taking her own life um, wow. as well. Wow. Um, and then he was diagnosed and he was prime of his life in a really busy um, emergency department. He was a professor of emergency medicine actually and uh, he thought there's got to be something else. Because he had a medical background because he understood research and how to analyze it, he researched everything he could about this con- condition and not just in neurology literature but across all, a whole range of disciplines and found that there's actually a whole lot of stuff out there that's evidence-based that's scattered that's right. in literature and he pulled it together yes. and Initially, he started off with a a little post-it note that he stuck on the fridge, which was a sort of a five-point summary of the things that he was going to do. And then he thought, and he started doing it and he started getting better. And then he thought, no, actually, I can't just know this information for myself. I have to share it with others. Uh So he wrote a life-changing book for so many people, so many people. Um, at the time it was called Taking Control of MS. Um, think... And that's another thing about how sort of language changes, you know, as time goes on. But my sister found this book and she read it to me because um, like I couldn't even hold it on the shelf. Uh, and as she was reading it, it just made sense. Because he Uh was a doctor. He was someone who had gone through it himself, had seen the impact on his mum. And from, I'm a psychologist background, so um, having something that was evidence-based was really important to me. So I kind of just, it was a no-brainer for me. It was like, Here's something I can do. Here are things, practical tools that I can implement in my life. Um so yeah, why wouldn't I do it? Right. And and just just to say so that the the um practical things uh
0: Yeah, I wanna um, know what the five things on the post notes were. <laughs> so um the, yes. what what we recommend and what the evidence suggests, is that a, a
1: diet which is low in saturated fat, so that's my meat and my dairy and, and fried food and coconut, but it means loads of other things, and it just opens your horizons to a wonderful world of world food. Uh, so that's one thing. Supplementing with uh, omega-3s has been a bit uh-huh. that's really important. Uh, vitamin D also we know is hugely important for so many conditions, but particularly for MS. And mm-hmm. um exercising as mm-hmm. and so you're able to. And meditation or you know, stress stress management or you know so that yes, different but it's what we were talking about, thought which is taking care of our mental and emotional. Space yes, and uh, as well as medication, uh-huh. as as required. So they are uh, the steps. And I just, I just thought, you know what? Like, what have I got to lose? Actually, uh-huh. yes. And there was nothing that sounded controversial or that had side effects, mm-hmm. negative side effects. I mean, heap positive side. I say, twenty years later, uh and so, yeah, that's kind of that was
0: the start of, of my journey to wellness so so when you started to implement what I mean sounds like just really um commonsensical last I mean we should all be doing that, we should all yep. be eating healthier, exercising, taking the supplements we need that our body can't produce itself, and yeah. You know, and and taking care, as you say, of our psychological, you know, well-being. You did you start to see immediate changes? Like, how did how did that work? So, for me, um, yeah, I would say
1: probably. I mean, it's not. It's this is a thing. Lifestyle interventions are not a quick fix. Take Not a, pill, a quick fix. And the next day. Yes. You know. Yes. And um, mm-hmm. so I would say I saw a lot of changes over that first year. Yes. Uh, maybe over the first month there were some tangible things, but there were definite milestones along the way. Like I remember, you know, the first time I could take a breath and it wasn't painful. Wow. Yeah. And um, I remember... You know, like when I could tilt my head that way and it didn't feel like electric shocks were going all the way up and down my spine. Wow. Oh. And, yeah, so that it was kind of slow, slow and steady. And to be honest, it was probably about five years before a most of my symptoms had, had gone. Yes. Um, and
0: yes. yeah. So the thing I wanted to, cause it's, I can definitely relate to lifestyle changes don't cure you overnight, you know, and even in my kind of physical journey, I've seen that it can be quite, um. At times, frustrating because you're making changes that sometimes aren't so intuitive or natural or easy, and you're not getting the results. Or sometimes you do, and then you go backwards. One of the things that has helped me is that, again, like just connecting to this part of me that knows you're okay gives you kind of the freedom to just keep going with it and not feel a sense of urgency or needing a quick fix. (laughs) And knowing that you can see that this is, it feels like it's the right, um, direction it feels almost directional rather than something that's going to but a lot of people feel i've seen can't and i've even had my dips with this so when i say a lot of people myself included as well i've had my dips and then had to get back on course but i'm sure that a lot of people especially when you're feeling so tired and having the pain etc um that that will struggle to stick with it they will struggle to find the perseverance and the patience as you said, like I saw these little um, milestones of that gave me yeah. hope. Um, but do you find in your experience now, because, and I wanted to come to the fact that you've set up your charity, OMS, and helped thousands of people. Do you find that people struggle to maintain that when they're not getting the kind of quick results that, you know, they probably would like to see? Yeah, 100%. And, uh,
1: you know, it's, it's not easy. And for some people it's really hard and oh, well. for some people it's too hard. Um, just what you were talking about before reminded me a big part of my own, I think, healing was about getting to know myself better. Like in the fast pace of praising life. Yes. Um, It's so easy not to know what our needs are, what our, you know, how we work well, how we thrive, how we, and so that's been a real sort of journey for me. And there's been hundreds, if not thousands of times where I've kind of, got a bit better and as you say then then I'd start to do all this stuff wow. and then I'd go back again and wow. gosh that's been a real learning a real learning yeah. and part yeah. of the learning is being, her, I think being to not be hard on myself wow. like I used to beat myself up and go oh gosh you know you can't just can't do anything by it and look where you are now and um but actually looking back, now each time there was like inches forward and then back and then a bit more forward. Yes. Back. Yes. Um so giving myself permission oh, to that no. and really learning what it, what were my triggers, you know. For me personally, stress was a huge one. So yes. If I had too much on too much stress and I could feel physical symptoms and it was actually something that I, because um, I studied um, hypnotherapy with my psychology course uh-huh. and uh, in the early years I was doing a lot of self-hypnosis and one of the things I kind of said to myself was if I'm doing too much or out of balance or whatever, I want my body to have tingling in my hands right so it kind of programmed that in and so every time I had tingling in my hands I was like shit I've got, ting- <laughs> <I've> got tingling <laughs> in my hands um but it was a sign you know yes. it was like what do I need to change what do I need to rebalance? balance well, no, we are where do I need to focus um wow so like
0: helpful. That's really interesting because you told me before that when you start to get stressed, the first thing you felt was tingling. Because we'd spoken about this mind-body connection and how you you cannot separate the psychological and physical; they're so intertwined. But we we do we think they're almost separate. Yeah. But um, but I didn't know that that you had almost programmed yourself because often we miss it. I, you know, for me, my body often has to be screaming at me. Um, in order for me to listen to it, which is why I'm sure I've got this chronic issue now, because there's something I have to learn. And as yeah. you say, I really get to know myself. So, I mean, I oh. can so relate, Linda, when you speak to these getting to know you. Uh, and it might be the same for you. I've just got a sense. But the sense of kind of, you know, people call it A-type personalities, but people who are incredibly productive and, you know, and going, going, going. And... um you know, and that's definitely what I've come up against. I mean, three months ago I was starting to do better. And for the first time I could go to the gym. I've been going to the gym for 15 years, you know, three times a week. And I hadn't been in, in like 10 months and I was starting to go to the gym again and starting to feel like I could function and not hit by a truck. And, but then I got a bit too excited and I had a trip to see my children, grandchildren, and gosh, I came back and the truck hit me again. And now I'm, you know, kind of backwards. But it was just my propensity because you also get so excited when you have energy when you haven't had energy <clears throat> almost just your and your kind of status quo is to use it finding that balance and getting to know yourself and your kind of what i call off track patterns the way that our minds think and a way it's not in service to our health um is, uh, these lessons are not easy to learn for us humans, and and <laughs> I think they're lifelong lessons. Lifelong really lessons. So day. with you, you described
1: so you. it so beautifully because see, yeah, you're right. When we feel well, it's like we can conquer the world, right? And we want to yeah. do whatever we can and you know help as many people as we can, or do, you know, and then it's like, yeah, and and finding that balance is the golden nuggets, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like now, have you, can you just tell us a little bit about the charity you set up? And, and, and I'd okay. also love mm. to know if you could share your story so inspirational, but I'm assuming that you've seen a lot of stories like yours that people, that that these changes have changed the trajectory of, of a person's kind of diagnosis and where they were heading with MS. Yeah, Sure. So after
1: sort of getting better uh, okay. after those days, I met my husband uh-huh. uh, who is English and ended up <laughs> ended up moving to London oh yeah and um it was interesting because in that move. I made a decision that MS was no longer part of my life, part of my story. So I didn't tell anyone about it when I moved here and Uh um, just got on with life. We had quite a... um, Well, we got married and nine months later, Josh was born and I've just moved here and, you know, really know anyone. So it was all quite, you know, and... After he was born, because um, pregnancy is protective for for, for MS, for MS yeah. but post-pregnancy, this uh, it's, it's more common to have a relapse um, uh, after pregnancy, and after I <clears throat> gave birth, I was not feeling well, and I was worried that I was having a relapse, even though I'd been well for so long, and um I decided to see a neurologist and have an MRI and the neurologist and I was really scared to be honest at that point because I'd been doing so much to be well and I was like what's happening here what's happening uh but the neurologist looked at my scans and found that the lesions that I previously had were no longer there so that had was you kind
0: known, like, had you tested, it tested in the years again once? Was no, this, I had was, um, it was well, I'd had two um in the,
1: scans in, in in the first two years in a yes. row, and then not since until this point. Yeah, and from a medical point of view, and, that, and at that time, he was kind of looking at it, going, "This is really strange," and yes. here I am thinking. Wow. You know, I've worked pretty hard for this boom and yes. yes um it oh. was it was a real indication that I was on the right track. Or uh-huh. her anyway around that time uh we went to a an event run by the MS Society here in the UK and I just started asking people if they knew about Professor Jelinek, if they knew about lifestyle interventions. And uh-huh. they all kind of looked at me like I Weird. Oh, yeah. and, um, and they said, oh, we'll find out for you, don't worry, we'll find out. And I went home that night and it was like an epiphany moment. It was like, you have to do something about this. And oh, it, it didn't come from me, it came from wherever it came. Oh, huh. But it was such a strong sense that I knew all this information which yeah I was blessed enough to have learned from fromlinec that it would be negligent of me if I didn't share it right? oh, yes. so I thought what am, you know ha- how how do you even do that what where do I begin oh, hey. uh and I just decided kind of one conversation at a time, and then again all these serendipitous sort of Things happened. Uh, I called Chris I said, I've just got this crazy idea. What do you think? Do you know anyone in the UK who I speak to? And he said, "Uh, Actually, right now, uh, my web editor, he just had a web editor Um, to pull the information together, is on a plane between Melbourne and London to see her mum who has MS. Why don't you give her a call? Well, thought, wow, that's kind of a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And then I spoke to Lisa and then she introduced me to another Lisa and, you know, slowly, things slowly happened. things happened. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, so we decided to set up as a, a charity. Mm-hmm. Um And that was 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, Glass night we celebrated. Wow. And... Uh, we're registered in the UK, the US, and in Australia
0: as uh-huh. uh, as charities. And and we'll, we'll have the links to your if people on a, in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. It really has. And have
1: you know, touched, I would say, probably of tens of thousands of people's lives. And incredible. You know, what we're about is you know, empowering people to yeah. take control of their health. Yeah. And um, right. you know, to, to be informed and to make informed Decision. choices. Yeah. And uh and we also show them through our community and and the people who have been on this journey that living a, a full and a healthy and a happy life is possible yeah. after a diagnosis of illness.
0: So, so important. I mean, I, I, can, I can't, just, just even seeing you and when you talk about that first year and being so debilitated and not being able to pick up a book or independently go to the bathroom or do anything, and then seeing you now, and I know that you've um, climbed mountains and, you know, been a very, very active person. It's just so hopeful. And it's so um the opposite of the narrative that's out there. You know, when yeah. a person thinks of getting these kind of autoimmune, you just think, that's it, I'm an yeah. invalid, that's my life yeah. gone. And so it's it's so important. And it, yeah. And, and unfortunately, you know, this was sort of spoke about earlier as well, uh,
1: that's the news that a lot of people are still pivoting at the Still of the diagnosis. diagnosis. And yeah. uh, not everyone, and yeah. it is slowly changing, but I think how is it health practitioners... Had one has is still huge, even in this day of you know, information, oh, the internet, My... uh, but it's it's you know, like the nocebo effect. You know, yeah, the there's the SIBO and there's the nocebo. So, when you're told there's nothing you can do, yeah, then it yeah. kind of becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. And wow. a lot of people kind of go down that path, but so that's really what we're. What we're there to do, and what we'd like to do, is to change the paradigm of how MS is is viewed. And um, a lot of work to be done, still.
0: A lot of work, but one step at a time. (laughs) I know what you feel, because from a psychological sense, you know, also came up against feeling like this is a big thing to do because the mainstream is so set, and it's almost like trying to shifted tanker that doesn't want to move at times you know but as you say you see little bits of movement um you know over time and you know and I must yeah. say you know
1: 10 years ago when we started this and we were speaking to other MS organizations and it was kind of you know who are these crazy kids <laughs> on the block and now yes. um Lifestyle management is so much more mainstream across yeah. the board. Yeah. You know. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You, Heart you say, disease. You do say that, but w- you know, and I want to come next to COVID because you've got quite a COVID story. Um, but you, I mean, when COVID happened, the, that it, wasn't what we were seeing in our newspapers. Change your lifestyle, exercise, vitamin D, healthy—all these things. I mean, I was seeing that because I know where to look for that, but I'm sure you were too. But Generally speaking, I was that wasn't what was coming through the mainstream media. So in a way, it was like kind of showing where we are. To we're not there yet. Not you there. Know, yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. Our work is definitely not done. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. But no. you know, it is. It is reassuring that um, you know other other organizations are offering yes you know, exercise programs and
0: you know it's yeah. starting
1: to talk about. There's more
0: voices. There's there, more, there voices are more, and more voices. There more momentum.
1: Yeah, and definitely where yeah, heart diseases now compared to thirty years ago. Yes, you know if you're not yes. told about this, same and actually it's the same stuff across all conditions. Across all
0: conditions, that's, yes.
1: Yeah. That's the irony yeah. of it, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do see, I do see a change, and I um, do see progress, not as fast as we could like.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, good. So now coming to COVID, because um, I I didn't want to leave this piece out because you were in Australia and I think that you kind of got stuck in Australia um, for COVID. And most sane people, when you hear someone was in Australia for COVID, whatever your feelings are, you think, oh gosh, I would not have liked to be in Australia for COVID. So Mm -hmm. I know it was particularly hard for you and you got separated from your husband for an extended period of time. Just tell us about that period for you and kind of what you've learned through that. Yeah. It uh, wasn't what we planned, but then
1: uh, I think that's what COVID's shown us is that life's what happens when you're busy making plans. But we had planned uh, about six years before to spend some time in Australia, all my family there, and uh, really wanted the kids to have an Australian experience and to spend time with the family and we landed in Melbourne, both places in Australia, which was yeah. um three weeks before COVID, COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh we had no idea what that was gonna mean, but you know, the kids were starting at new schools. We'd gone there to spend time so with the family. And um we were supposed to be living with my sister and her husband. Sharing the house. Uh was supposed to be seeing her dad every day. Um all together as a family, and my husband and a trainee, he was spinning me kind of back and forth a bit with oh. business. Uh but he came back and then he got stuck for six months. Um and uh so yeah, none of that was quite anticipated, and so my sister because then we had to work from home, school from home. Uh, so they moved to their uh, farm, which was a couple of hours away, so we didn't see them pretty much for six months after we were then wow. living together. And my dad lived five and a half kilometres away from where we lived, not five kilometres, which was the regulation. And Melbourne was really strict, so the streets were policed. We had a... What they called a ring of steel between metropolitan and uh, country Victoria, Uh, so it was hardcore. The curfew was eight pm every day. You couldn't walk with, you know, only walk alone or with one other person. I think at times for an hour a day. Gosh. Um, So yeah, and then um, because of the time difference, I was working nights and uh homeschooling days Ace. and not getting enough sleep and uh separated from my support networks in the way yes. that i had hoped to be and uh, I don't know, it was really hard no, 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 no. um also managing transition kids were going through um, payment, that stuff so I must say, I came probably as close as I ever I have in my life to not cheap for it. Happy mental bit. breakdown of some kind. Uh-huh. I got to a point where I was, I felt felt like I was 24 hours away from my physical health <laughs> completely plummeting. Yes. And it was a really scary place to be. Wow. Um, and so I needed to make some decisions, some lifestyle decisions about what I was going to do because I wasn't willing to go there, <laughs> you know, yes, being there, done that, don't want to do that again. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was, it was intense. Wow. wow. Uh, but I did, you know, I, I. Asked for help, mm-hmm. a lot of help. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've always been the one keeping help. We know if it's what we yes. do. So yes. It's, it's hard to accept right. help. And I, did, you know, learned that very well when I was um, MS. But then life gets back to normal. And yes. It. Yes. Um, and I made some sort of decisions about sort of changes in my life. So I wasn't going to be. As crazy manic because it just doesn't suit my body, my
0: temperament, my. my, But yeah, Uh, it it is interesting how we, like we feel like at times we like just when we're getting a bit complacent we feel like we've got this, and then kind of something hits us again. Now we realize okay maybe not as much as we thought. I, I remember my mother once saying to me at a certain time that a lot was coming her way, you know, our family's way. And I remember I was a bit younger, her saying to me, just want everything to settle down and get back to normal. And I remember just thinking that she seemed to have this impression that normal is good in the status quo. And then occasionally in life you get something difficult and hopefully that won't happen again. And I kind of had a different philosophy on life. I was thinking. No, these things are going to keep on coming because we need them. They are life lessons and they're as much a part of life as the time when nothing's going on. They're as important. They're not something that we should wish away because then there's no evolution for us. You know, I always feel like they come with love. Like I always feel, you know, I've spoken before on this podcast about this concept in Judaism called Mm -hmm. Yusurim Shalava which are these, these tests, these suffering, the struggle that are gifted with love, because it's the only way that we, as humans, that we have to have that in order to grow. We have to have that in order to kind of, almost some part of us has to fall away and something new has to emerge. And we don't really do that when we don't need to, you know, generally yes. speaking, we just kind of get on with life. So. um you, you are an incredible student of life, which is not always, again, so intuitive for people. It's like when these things come, you open yourself up to learning. And that's, that's a very beautiful attribute. It's such an important attribute. It's something, again, we try to share with the young people we work with because often in this generation, you told as soon as there's discomfort, you know, kind of get rid of it, distract yourself, medicate it, whatever it is, yeah. just just get it away. Yeah. And that and that means that there's something wrong with you, except you have a mental illness, you have an anxiety disorder. But instead of saying no, that's our discomfort because something feels too challenging for us. And unless we learn what that is and where are kind of the root of our insecurity and work through that, then we're not developing that resilience that we're going to need for life. But just keeps getting kind of pushed away, and then you know you get into the bigger world as an adult. And you, we don't know how to live with adversity. So, um, well. and I, I really feel like, you know, life
1: keeps us, as you say, and what we needs to evolve yeah. at, 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 times in our lives so and immutable wow. uh, And, and it is through the, the hard stuff and the sticky stuff and stuff that we want to get rid of that growth happens. Yeah, but we need to... to, you know, find a way to to embrace it and um, recognise, I think, that, that they're gifts in a way. I mean, I, what, what? I certainly look back on my life and think that I was gifted with these challenges along the way because they've made me who I am and they've allowed me to do the work that I've been doing and whatever will come next, you know, and, um, and it's each, each step that, that leads to the next one. So I'm
0: grateful for all of it, actually. It's a, it's a good attitude to have. I'm sure your, um, you know, your mom is not here, your dad, though, would be very proud. You know, you think of people who, you know, came... (laughs) You know, they cross their path, the greatest adversity, people kind of not wanting you to live, hunting you down, you know, and what they went through. um, I think they'd be very proud of a daughter who has the attitude you have, so... Um, But Linda, I have to ask you, because otherwise I'm going to get into big trouble from, um, I live with six boys, I mean, five are moved out of home, and a husband who are massive football fans. Oh my goodness. if I didn't ask you about your husband, what it's like (laughs) to be the wife of, you know, Tony, for for those that don't know, is the owner of Brighton FC, who's one of the most successful premier football clubs. And um, he has got a lot of respect as a football owner because of what he's done with the club. And um, I just know that my family are big fans of, you know, we men, you know but they're big fans of Brighton. Won't that when against you. Done. So <laughs> what is it the, like to be the wife of, a, of an owner of, of Brighton? I'm glad you asked me that question and not the offside rule. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I, can well, deal, how much I can deal I know with about the offside football. rule. I can deal with that.
1: <laughs> uh, given the fact that I'd never seen a
0: game of football in my life before I met him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that what's wasn't like? his criteria, right? 25? No, 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 no yeah. that wasn't.
1: Um, uh, what's it like? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of weird because at the moment, Brighton are doing incredibly well. There's six on the table. There's still an the FA Cup and there's, you know, there's been a whole lot of press um, about Tony and about the club and, and read this stuff like I get the Google alerts and (laughs) perhaps I could read about what he's doing um (laughs) and uh it's kind of weird to think well that's just my husband you know it's like you know
0: it's just like a celebrity
1: dinner together and so I don't actually think of him in that way at all the most you know humble down-to-earth guy you know I know and um It's an amazing family man, always prioritises me, the kids. And and so, yeah, you know, we go to the club and there'll be people and we're at a game who will stop him and ask for an autograph or take a selfie or something. I just think it's hilarious. (laughs) So funny.
0: That's your husband. (laughs) Uh, This was my husband, you know. Yeah. yeah,
1: And I'm very proud of him. I mean, he he is amazing and I'm very blessed. And... Back to sort of what you put out there, mm-hmm. um, that was another thing back in the day when I sort of wrote a list of all the qualities that I'm looking for in a partner. I'm having had broken up from a long term relationship,
0: and uh, yeah, pretty much, pretty much ticks all the boxes. You got those boxes ticked, yeah. And I'm yeah. sure the way you described him, you need to have that kind of groundedness to be the owner of a football club because of the ups and downs of the experience. I mean, it sounds like he's had quite a stable um, in, in comparison to some others, but I'm sure there's it's lots been. of stuff coming at you. So, yeah, and, you know, he's, he's sort of been supporting the
1: club back in the days when they were in League One and, you know going, know, going up and up. So he's been through lots of challenging times, and but he's got an incredible, incredible attitude to life. You know, he's, yes. he's probably one, yeah, a role model to me. Um, he celebrates the wings, all, you know, lets the, the losses go, looks at what he can learn from it. Yeah. That's what he's been brilliant at, is creating a team of people in his business with Bob, Bob and you know, charity work that we do. and. Uh, or the mounds we okay, can, can help or on track head. That's
0: amazing. And I just, I don't even want to bypass what you just said, cause it's such an important thing for, and again, I keep coming to young people and I, I don't want to exclude adults cause it's as important for adults, but I feel like young people grow into adults. And if we could grow into adults, it's something I've tried to teach my children cause it's something I learned from the kind of resilience framework that, that, that we teach is that um, when you when you understand that your security lies within you and that it's not an outside thing, then you can, as you say, enjoy the wins and learn from the losses. You're not like a puppet on a string that the wins give you a high and the losses give you a low and that these things have power over your emotions. You understand, no, like you are having an experience of them and your stability lies within you, and then you can respond to them, you know, in in a in a measured, considered way. But it's something that, again, like so many of our children just grapple with, and it's almost like you know, it doesn't matter social media and who likes them and who looked at their post and who left them out and what's going on out there. All seems to have this. They think it has this power, you know, to kind of affect their well-being. To either give it to yes. them or take it away, and then they just up and down and up and down. Um, and that's kind of the Malay of the generation. So those kind of like kind of role models are, are just so important in a family, in society, you know. Much Actually, because there's been a lot of articles
1: recently, um, I've seen some of the responses people have sent. God, like, oh, you must be so, you know, so proud, so this, so that. And said, you know what, it, it's lovely. Yes. But, you know, the press, uh, easy easy to turn the other way as well you know things are not exactly. going so well so having that recognition as you say that whatever happens externally if you What's... know that you're on the right path and doing the right thing yeah. uh, then whatever yeah. happens it can be just noise and
0: that, that's process it's, it's really to me yes. process it's like just an invaluable you know something invaluable to give over to our, to our children so I guess, Linda, you've been amazing. And I've got one more question for you, um, you, which is what are you, what are you grappling with or learning right now? But, I mean, you've learned so much and I just want to say you look incredible and it's amazing just to see you looking so healthy and vibrant. And as I said, it's really a big inspiration and going to be for many, many people watching, listening to this podcast, this episode. What are you, what's right now your kind of learning? what
1: first thing that comes to mind and it's as we've been talking about lifelong learning but uh-huh. it's um, sort it of become pertinent again lately is about finding the balance uh, re recalibrating and mm-hmm. really figuring out where I want to focus my Energy next, um, and yeah, something about, um, yeah, and something about, um, Where I can have the greatest impact while still maintaining my needs of taking not care of yourself, taking care of myself, yeah, and not going back into crazy yeah. mode, so that's this, yes, something, something around that of of, of making a
0: positive impact mm-hmm.
1: Man shirts, sure arms way. So
0: we. Well, Linda, I want to thank you. There's so much wisdom that you share and that comes out of you in such a natural way. Um, and it just is so helpful across the board, whether someone's struggling with, um, you know, with their physical health or their mental health or just with life in general, because there's a message that comes across from you, which is that you're a student of life, as I said, and you're reflecting. And you're working on it and you're realizing that that's, I think it's the most beautiful work to do, I always say. It's not a, people think it's a difficult work or when really when I hit rock bottom, maybe then I'll kind of look at myself for what I'm doing. But I think it's the most important work and the most uplifting work. And as humans, we should all be curious about our psychological, spiritual, stress, physical functioning. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's who we are. We've got this one lifetime to learn about that. And you do that in such a natural, intuitive way. So that's really inspirational. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Terry, for the opportunity to have a conversation with you.
1: Um, I must say, at the beginning of it, I no idea what we were going to talk about, and I survived. <laughs> survived! <laughs> so, and your hair looks beautiful. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> Washing it helps, yeah. Yeah, it looks good. Uh, but also just, you know, to thank you for the incredible contribution that you make to the world and the wisdom that you share and the children whose lives uh, and adults um, yeah. you, you shape and um, you're an incredible well, not in, it's
0: a pleasure well, to, to know you. Well, thanks, Linda. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow or subscribe so that you can stay up to date with our latest episodes.